This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast coming to you from the main studio. Now joined by the man that needs no introduction, five-time Super Bowl starter, ex-U of A great, Glenn Parker. How you doing, Glenn? I'm well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? Of course, always a pleasure. First and foremost, what is an off-season like then for Glenn Parker? We were talking about a little bit off-air, but what do you do in your off-season time? You know, uh, well, when I was playing, it's one thing. What I do now, two different things. But uh, now, you know, I, I like to – I have a home in upstate New York. I go up there and spend a few weeks with the family. And um, and now that I've worked with the University Foundation, you know, the season rolls around. It's important you be here and you get to games and, and uh, be a part of the alumni and, and what's going on. All right. No better person to talk about than offensive line play to start with. And I'll be honest with you, Glenn, when uh, Jed Fish was hired, I thought it was a bizarre hire. Now he uh, now he quickly won me over. Um, but everything that he said, he has turned out to do. He said that, you know, I am going to work. Nobody will out recruit us. We might not get every player. We won't get every player, but nobody will outwork us and we will build this thing the right way up. And I don't think that there's anything more indicative of that than just the offensive line you're looking at this year, Glenn. Yeah, you know, it's funny because from being a, a spot that three years ago, um, technique, they weren't great, talent, they weren't great. And now you, you fast forward three years through people they've brought in, recruits, you know, um, they've got a, a, a pretty solid core and a, and a decent backup group. Um, and actually, like, I mean, like there's some backups could start other places right now. So, right. Um, you know, when I look, when I was out there, what struck me most importantly was their technique work. I've only been out to a couple practices, but I wouldn't have said that one year ago today. Their, right. their technique was not there. They uh, they were doing things that were that weren't even in the basics, and now these kids are so much more advanced. Uh, they've done a great job with them. Right. Now, talking just from an overall talent perspective, you look along the line and, you know, I mean, generally the guys that uh, the, the better teams at the U of A have had guys that are Let's be honest here, NFL players, and you can look across this offensive line, whether it's Jordan Morgan, Jonas Savinea, and see players that are going to play in the NFL that you don't have to say, well, if this works out, that to me is just such a departure from where we've been the last couple of years. Oh, it is. And and that's what that's indicative of, of is number one, recruiting, but number two, the culture and and having the people in place where kids believe that this is the best pace for me if I want to get to the NFL. Right. Um, you know, a lot. Unfortunately, every kid who comes out of high school thinks I'm going to start and I'm going to be in the NFL. I don't care who it is. And the realistic ones can look at a roster and go, 
offensive linemen don't leave after one year. They don't leave. After, they live after three. If, if they're incredible, they leave after three. Usually it's after four. So the smart offensive lineman comes out and he sees a very talented offensive line somewhere and, and says, wait a minute, you know, if I want to get better and I'm not a five-star recruit, I mean, three-star recruit, why wouldn't I go there and develop and become that five-star recruit in, in three years? And right. I think that's where we're at. And we were never there before because we were always going after the five stars in previous groups and settling for the ones and the twos of the zeros. Well, now we are going for the fives, but we're grabbing threes and fours. And that to me is is important because that that it, it jumps ahead. The talent level you're bringing in starts jumping ahead by leaps and bounds. All right, let's talk about Jonas Savinea here for a minute. Um, a lot of time, you 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 don't see all the time a guy who moves from guard to tackle. I mean, we've seen it from time in the NFL. Larry Allen obviously did it with the Cowboys, but when uh, Jonas I did it too. Don't forget. Now, I was going to say, Glenn Parker's got a little bit of history with that as well. Yeah. So when Savinea came in, Jed Fish was telling reporters, he said, honestly, I've never dealt with a 17 or an 18 year old that carries 330 pounds like this. He's a pro. And that caught my attention immediately because a lot of times you don't see players that say or guys or coaches that say he's a pro as a freshman, but so far so good. What makes Jonas Savinea so unique there, Glenn? Well, he's one thing is he's got pretty darn good feet. He's got really good instincts. And when I watch him, he knows. So the hardest thing to teach a young guy is where your target is. Right. And he seems to know inherently where his target is. He, he falls into it. He's natural at it. Um, and you can't say that about a lot of people. You, you know, natural players understand the angles and the speed, and they're at the right spot at the right time. A lot of guys don't do that. And so he's got the speed, and he's got the natural ability to hit that target where he needs to be. And in pass pro, that's in, that's the most important thing. And second then would be, you know, obviously being under control and 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 all the other things that go with it. But he's come in because he is built the way he's built, which very few freshmen come in built that way. Right. Um, and there's usually five or so in the entire United States. Um, and so he's able to play without getting hurt right away, which leads to further development right away. So he's just, a, he's just ahead of the curve compared to most kids that are 18 that come out of high school. All right, let's talk Jordan Morgan now, because he's obviously been here a while, came in, kid out of Marana, and he's worked his way up. What have you seen from the progression, and what intrigues you about him? And looking possibly to the NFL, what do you think he can be there? I'm sad he got hurt, because mm -hmm. this, I, I coached against him and watched him in high school. He mm -hmm. was a top D1 prospect then, and nothing had changed my mind. I watched him in practice. He's, he's rebounding from that injury. Um, he's on pace to rebound at the time they think he should. He's taken it at the right level. What impressed me with him and always has is his technique. Right. In high school, he had great technique. In high school, he knew how to use his length. He knew how to place his hands. He knew when he was in trouble, when he wasn't. Um, and he didn't, more importantly, impressive for a high school kid, is he didn't use size and strength to win. He used great technique no matter who he was facing. So facing a small guy, technique and size. He didn't just try to manhandle him. And I love that. Right. Now, where do I think he needs, you know, and I, and I would say this, watching practice and he doing his thing, he, he is he's as good as any player at this age I've ever seen using his offhand. So what I mean by that is he's a left tackle. His right hand is a dominant. So his offhand is that left hand. Your outside hand is super important in pass brush because 
you need to use it for your length, but when you're a tackle, you cannot step into that punch or you're going to get beat. Very few kids at this level understand how to step away from a punch. And uh, it's really hard on the right side because most kids are right-handed, so they do want to step into that punch. They get in trouble. He's as good as I've seen. Um, if I had to pick one thing I want him to be more, I, I, I'd say I want more of a dog in it. Right. I need more of I need more aggression. I when you can kill a guy, kill a guy. You couldn't do that in high school, or it was it, it wouldn't help you. But now it, this is you know as close to the big time as you're going to get for the next six to eight months. Show people you can be a dog. Get downfield, hit people, pick them off the pile, play with a little a little prick there. You know, what I mean, you just got it. Right. Now, the one thing also, too, with this coaching staff is they've shown they can really eval kids. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. You want to get the five star kids like the T-Max for sure. But you look around, though, the guys that they've been able to bring in. Let's use Wendell Moe as an example right there. A kid out of Long Beach Poly that was committed to Morgan State. He comes here and he's going to be a three. He's going to be a three or four year starter. That's a unique aspect for a coaching staff to be able to have. And it's throughout the roster. Jacob Manu, I can keep going on and on down the list. Yeah, you know, evaluating who can be a a starter, who can be solid for you at all times, who has the personality to fit in with what you're doing. You know, you can you can amass five stars, and you know, you, when you take a look at Alabama or, or Clemson or Georgia, they amass five stars, but they also lose a lot of them because right. those kids uh, sometimes have a kind of more fragile ego. They haven't had to be the guy to go get it, and. When you look at Mo, he's a guy, he's a wide body, he's got good hands, he sits well. It's going to be hard. You're not going to bull rush him. Um, and he's got that mentality. He's going to work. He work. He's not going to be a, a lazy guy. At least that's what I see when I'm at practice. I don't know him the rest of the time. That's the caveat here. But, um, you know, it, it, that's that's when you evaluate kids. You go and you watch. what what How do they work? What's their personality like? How do they take coaching? When they're at practice, yeah, they're the best, but are they the first guy in line or the last guy in line? Right. You know, like you don't want your leader to be the last guy in any line. He should always be the first guy in line uh, and things like that. And they do a great job evaluating that. All right, let's talk skill position then, because I think across the board, you look at depth from the wide receiver to the running back. We'll get to the quarterback right here. Heck, even the tight end with Tanner McLaughlin and uh, Kean Burnett. It's loaded there as well, Glenn. Stop me if you've heard this one before. No, you know, we, we got, we've got we amassed more depth up than we have in a long time, and that was a, a, a product of winning some games and not losing too many people. We lost right. some, but – and then when you see that, when, you see, when you're another – when you're a kid somewhere else and you see a team start doing pretty well in a place you kind of like and you're not playing where you went, it becomes attractive. And so – They've done a really good job of evaluating high school talent, but then a great job in the portal of picking the guys that are going to come in and and be a part of a culture that they want. And um, like, well, for one, like, okay, here's a great one. And of course, they he's not a transfer, but uh, I don't think he is. Uh, Jonah Coleman, I love watching mm-hmm. that kid run. Right. I mean, he's a bowling ball, and, and you know, he, you know, he's a I don't know, I, I think they listed at five ten, and but he's got he's two hundred and thirty pounds. And he's, right. just, and he's fast and he's big. He runs low. He's a between the tackles type of kid, screen type, you know, screen game type of kid. Going to hurt you. Michael Wiley's a player. You know, it, you you start looking and you're right. The depth is the best we've seen since Rich Rod. 
Right. And I just looking at the wide receiver position, what's insane to me, too, is when you got a player like a T-Mac, and I thought this last year with a T-Mac and Jacob Cowing, you almost have to go back to Dennis Northcutt, Jeremy McDaniel era to find guys that you're like, all right, that's an NFL player. That's an NFL player. It's just such a juxtapose from where we've been the last couple of years. It is, you know, and I I, I can't name the names because those are wide receivers, the little guys. I don't, I don't, I don't. Them and the DBs, I hardly ever see. I'm watching, I'm watching big fellas, right. and I'm watching right. the the nine on sevens and whatnot. Right. But I will tell you this: it's also having to do a lot with the coaching and the system. Uh, when you run, you know, there's a lot of systems where wide receivers can amass a ton of yardage and a ton of catches, but that doesn't make them pros. When you're running routes that you're going to see at the next level. When you're running, when you're making progressions from the quarterback through the next level, that allows a wide receiver to shine in a way that, like you just said, that looks like a pro. Why does it look like a pro to you? Well, the reason it looks like a pro to you, you you watch a Sunday football game and you see those routes and you see that body style and he catches it and he's got that speed. So he's not an anomaly. He's not a he's not an outlier. He's not something that he's a guy that looks like what you see on Sundays. Because right. and it's also not he's not a guy that looks like the guy you see on Sundays, but he's running all these funky, you know, spread hitches and things. He's right. running, he's running the smash routes, he's running the overs, he's running everything, the corners. And so it, it just doubles in your mind now. This guy looks like he could play in the NFL. What's the next step for Jaden Delora? Ooh, um better understanding of what's going to happen after the snap. Um it's it's Quarterbacks need to see the defense and know who's going to be open based on where things already are. Knowing that, okay, this is shifted. So my, you know, if I've got a safety here and a safety here, odds are this guy's going to be open. Right. right. And, and here's a great example. If if any type of run run RPO we want to run or something like that, if they're if my safeties are rotated towards my strength, my X has got off. That means I can throw the X hitch for five yards every single time. Right. Because that guy's never going to be on. And all he has to do is peek, see he's not on and throw it. You know, just whip it out there to him. We got five right. yards. Um, it's understanding, though, if if that's not my one, and the minute I take the snap and the safeties do this, who's coming open? Where, who, where should that be? They don't have the time to practice and study and do all those things. Um, with the coaches, they have to be responsible on their own to spend hours and hours and hours watching film. They have to go in and ask the coach, hey, can we have 20 minutes while we can go over some more defenses? Because the coaches can't mandate it. They, they're not allowed. Right. Now, defensively, switching over, maybe the biggest addition, in my opinion, is bringing back Dwayne Aquina, obviously a legend from his time here uh, um at the U of A, and I've always said this too, you're not going to find a more qualified defensive backs coach in college football history. That's how good this man is. Just talk about the impact before we get in kind of the schematics of bringing Dwayne Aquina back. Well, you know, he was on the staff that recruited me here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love Dwayne. And I go out to practice and I'm looking at Aquina and he's, it, yeah, he's gray and he's a little older. He's the same fired up crazy dude on the field that was I was with 30 five years ago, you know, it's right. just like two is it's in his DNA. Um, he, but he builds this, he, he puts emphasis on number one physicality. We're not, we're not just going to sit back and 
let a guy catch the ball and run up and wrap around. No, we're we're going to make every receiver pay for every catch they get. And we're going to confuse things and knock them off routes and all that. And he's got that mentality. He shows them. He has highlight tapes of people that he's coached. And it's a who's who of number one and number two, right. you know, great awards, all Americans. <coughs> Pardon me. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that any kid coming in goes, wow. And then they have a certain standard they have to uphold. And, you know, you got Chuck Cecil right in the same room with you. And, and right. you're sitting there going, holy cow. And that's what he brings. There's a stand, there's a expectation of excellence and an expectation bottom line. Here's who you got to be or you're not seeing the field under me. Right. I still think back to it too, because in my in my opinion, Chris McAllister is the best DB I've ever I never saw Chuck Cecil here, but Chris McAllister was the best DB that I've seen here. And he still he was asked about that the other day. And they said, Who's your gold standard? Because keep in mind, he's coached Michael Huff, Aaron Ross, all these guys. And he said, It's still Chris McAllister, which was just cool to hear twenty-five years almost after Chris took his last snap here at the U of A. Yeah, you know, and and what you what that's not here. Yeah, he coached Chuck, but he didn't recruit him here, but he had he had Jeff Hammerschmidt, right. Brandon Sanders. Yep. You know, the, it goes on. And Tony Bowie, guys right. that made waves in the Pac-12 and going into the NFL. Chris McAllister, another great example. Oh, uh, let's not let's not forget D. Lewis, right. Lewis Thorpe Award winner and award winner. Um, yep. You know, these are guys that he had throughout the early '90s, all the way through 2000. And then, as you said, he goes to Texas, he kills it. I mean, it, it, McAllister's the gold standard because of what he was able to accomplish in the NFL once he was, but people kind of forget D Lou D Lou was all mm-hmm. pro. And one of those guys too, man, 42 career interceptions right there, Glenn, or no 34, excuse me. So, I mean, there yeah, D Lou D Lou right there. All right, let's talk the defensive line then. Um, and just what do you want to see from this unit there? Obviously you're bigger. You got transfers across the board. Now what's Glenn Parker looking for from the defensive line? I already seen it. The, the size that you just said, it. we've yeah, actually got yeah. some size. Right. And, you know, you you don't have to have a size across the board, but you have to have a couple of guys that can eat up linemen, eat up guys, take up space, not give ground, and let your littler guys work. Right. Let your, you let your linebackers slide side to side, and they don't have some big guard or tackle in their face because linebackers don't win against guards and tackles. Right. If you've got a couple of big guys like that, you can – you can really get some things done. And then that allows you to set the tone to where you set up passing situations. And right. once you've got that, you know, I'd like to see a more active D line than we have had in the last, I don't know, six, eight years. Uh, I'd like to see guys that are, are running side to side, making tackles, you know, 10 yards downfield after the ball is completed. Are they there? Are they getting back in space and nailing people? I'd like and of course, pressure on the quarterback is is vital and most important. But you can't you can't put pressure on the quarterback if you don't stop the run. And even right. I know it's the running game is no longer than the premier thing. But if you can't stop the run, you know there's no reason to they don't have to throw nearly as much. It's just the way that you can't win games without running the ball, even though it's not like it used to be. What are your expectations for this team this year? Obviously, we're in year three. Um, it's certainly its most talented team. What are your expectations for the squad this year? Well, there's hopes and then there's expectations. You know, expectation, I'm going to say, you know, I would expect we win five games again. We still have a very tough schedule and we still have a ways to go to get enough players. Um, That's the expectation. But remember, when you have expectations, that's that line of, okay, if we don't give any games away, 
Right. And we win the ones that I think we should. It's five. Right. Four to five. Right. Okay. Now, but um, to steal a few the way you always do, and you don't give up any, and suddenly it's seven. Right. And maybe eight. So that's the hopeful. We steal a few. We don't. We don't let any get away, and we steal a few, and then we can get to that seven eight mark. Let's talk recruiting here a little bit. So again, we, every coach that has come in here, whether it was Rich Rod, Sumlin, Stoops, some followed through, some didn't when they said we'll be tireless recruiters. Jed Fish has been that guy. And I keep going back to what Chester Burnett said a while back, ex U of A great, where he said, when my son committed, they recruited him harder after he committed to the U of A. And I look at uh, like a kid like Elijah Rushing that just committed to the U of A. They recruited him as hard as they could from day one. They didn't look like they didn't look for an excuse like with Bijan Robinson. Well, we can't get him. We're just not going to recruit him. They're going to recruit you until the very end, right there. They're going to make you say no before they sign on that dotted line. Oh, well, you 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 want to recruit them to the end, and you want to recruit them so that they feel the love with you when other people are coming in. It they still go wow. These guys that committed to them. And that's they've never let off. They haven't acted like it was expected, even though other teams are coming in now. Um, right. And I think that's huge. The main thing for me with recruiting is this. When we had our first huddle with Jed and, and the guys, it, it was we it was very much how are you going to recruit? And I will say this from day one of retiring from the NFL, I have been I've been so tired of talking to coaching staffs about getting to California. They all say Texas. Everyone, right. we got to recruit Texas. Well, Texas has more D1 schools in it and immediately surrounding it than any state. Right. It also has about the third most D1 prospects. California is hardly recruited at all. There's a very few D1 or major D1s there. And the, the difference you see is Texas, the kids are great football players, but it's because they've been coached since they were eight years old. They play middle school football. They play high school football. They play middle school spring ball. They play high school spring ball. They go to camps and they go to clinics. They've got professional coaches. And by the time they turn 18, that's who that kid is going to be. He's right. not getting better. You are never going to get that kid to the next like big level unless he was already going to be there anyways. California kids play football just during season. A lot of them don't play till they're in high school, which I think is a good thing, but a lot of them don't play until they're seniors or juniors. They play every other sport, and there is more D1 athletes there than any state, yet it's not as recruited. Jed Fish came on, first thing he said is we're going to recruit California. We're going to win Tucson. We're going to win Arizona, and we're going to go to California. I was sold right then and there. I'm like, okay, because that's where it's at. I mean, there's got there's talent sitting and going to JCs or quitting and getting jobs because they never get recruited because other than the, your five stars that USC, UCLA, and Alabama and Oregon are going after, there's kids all over that state that don't get love. Right. Well, and you look at his template, too. When he came in, the first thing he did was he looks at and he takes inventory. What what schools are loaded right now? Servite. You know what? I'm going to get the quarterback right there. Sure, there's questions about his height. Sure, there's questions a lot. But you know what? He brings in a gravitas. He bring, He's a player that guys want to play with. You get that Noah Fafita commitment. Then you get Kean Burnett. Then you get Jacob Manu. Then, oh, by the way, we're going to keep involved with T-Mac right there. And it just kind of spirals. Then you see other kids that want to be part of that. And it's just, like I said, it's just such a refreshing thing to see out there, Glenn. It is, you know, and and going after, you know, it, there's a lot to be said about 
getting the most popular guy on a really good winning high school team, a guy that you think, okay, he's probably not going to be able to start for us, but he's, he's close. Right. But he's got all these other guys he can influence to get here. We got to get that guy. We got to get him first and we'll get the other guys. Right. And if you get two of the other guys, it's a win because you, you improved your roster. And so what you just said was correct. And then there's also the thing of, you know, you got to look at the other team in the picture. Like, and, and I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I was in Huntington Beach. I, for the halftime of the game, I was asked to go to the modern day Edison game. Now, back in history, Edison was always much better than modern day until just recent years. Right. And there were, I think, 32 or 35 D1 kids on the field. Right. 11 or 12 or more over at Edison. Right. And everybody was watching the modern day kids. Right. And, and, and the game wasn't close, obviously, because they had 20-something D1 kids and blew right. them up. But every other high school around there is kind of like that. Yeah, you know, you are you got the modern days, you got the Boscos, you got the Servites. But let's not forget Long Beach Poly or Edison or some of those other, you know, uh, Centennial, Santiago. out in the, Those are public schools that are just a ton of talent all over the field. Right. What I also like seeing, I see a little bit of Dick Tomey and uh, Jed Fish in his approach. Like you said, again, you're heavy California and I get I get the Juco recruiting, which we're going to get to in a second, isn't quite what it was, obviously, when you were coming out. But he's been very uh, the way that he's been able to find players out of Hawaii. Like I said, a, a Jonas Avenea kind of going back with that poly connection right there, because you're not going to always get those big dudes d- that are, you know, down south because a lot of them are going to Alabama and whatnot. But right. if you can get those players, like I said, like a Jonah, like a Wendell Moe, you can coach them up and the ability to coach them up is something that reminds me a little bit of Dick Tomey's time period here. Yeah, that's, that's the culture. You're going to come in, you're going to develop and we'll, we'll get you there. And you're right. You know, going to Hawaii is a big deal. Going to Southern Cal is a huge deal because, okay, you're a Cal, you know, we're never going to get those kids down South or in the Northeast unless they are interested in coming. Um, right. And, but you still got to get in there and get your foot in the door with them. But, you know, like the Hunley's out, out of Virginia or the Singleton's out of New Jersey, it, it's going to be, it's always hard. You're going to get a few, but it's hard because those kids, especially in the modern college world where every game is on TV, yeah. why would they go far away from mom and dad right. to a program that's on the rise versus an established program right near mom and dad? Well, Arizona is that for all those California kids. It's right. closer to them, then it's, I mean, Arizona's is closer, closer than Stanford and Cal. You know, USC and UCLA, they're right there, but now they're going to the Big Ten, and a lot of these parents are going to go, I'm, I'm only going to see home games. I can't go to away games. It's too far. Who wants to go? And you get to California, and they're going to go to every single home game. They're going to be happy as clams because they're going to be able to see their kid on holidays and everything else. It's That's, that's a smart recruiting for us is get to California. What's your take on the, uh, obviously, Arizona going to the Big 12 and the dissolution, for lack of a better term, of the Pac-12? I, I, I hate the dissolution of the Pac-12. It's a, hit, a conference with so much history. I mean, I grew up want, wanting right. to play, you know, loving the Pac-8 and then wanting to play in the Pac-10 and having played it and then representing the Pac-12. Uh, I love the conference. To me, it's the it, it, it was, for many years, it was the preeminent football conference. Um, right. But I just asked, like, selfishly, I wanted us to stay out West, whether I was the, the whack or not. It makes more sense financially to go big 12. It, it's a financial move. Um, and I get that. That's the, that's what college football has become. And uh, the coaches can bemoan it, but they're making millions. The, right. the schools can bemoan it, but they're making millions. And it, 
it's just the way it is. You know, it's like money has gotten into this thing in a big way and uh, it's what's driving everything. So it, to me, it's unfortunate because I have, here's my feeling as a U of A alum, you know, uh, do I want to go to, um, I don't know, Lawrence or Manhattan, Kansas watch a game, or do I want to go to LA or San Francisco or, yeah, you know, all those places are much nice. Oh, much those are places I'm going to go anyways. Right. It's going to be hard to get me to go to Morgantown. It's going to be hard to get me to go to some of these places. Like, you know, I will because I'm a fan and I work for the U, and I'm going to watch by this team and root for them every second of the way. But it's going to make it uh, interesting. He's the great Glenn Parker. Glenn, I can't thank you enough. By the way, I wanted to tell people because I had a couple people ask me and I was going to wait until you were off or until, you know, you were about to go off. Tell a little people a little bit about your high school football background or lack thereof and how you got there, because a lot of people actually don't know about the high school part there, Glenn, which is fascinating. Well, OK, so I played kind of every sport growing up, you know, flag football, baseball, basketball. I was always very good at them. I surfed. and But um I went out for my freshman year of high school and hated it, so I quit. Um, and I didn't go back to football until I was 20 years old at, at the local junior college And because I, I was working my way through JAC, and it's it's a hard road to go. You, you're going to be – you have a full-time job, and then you're going to school, and it, it was going to take me years. And I saw guys that I knew from playing basketball at the local courts or whatnot that I was as good or better an athlete, and I'm bigger than them, and they're getting scholarships. Right. So. Um, and back then, the the JCs were much more competitive as far as the type of player because almost every guy I played with already had a scholarship coming out of high school. They just wanted a better scholarship. They right, didn't like right. where they were going. They wanted to go somewhere better. Um, right. I mean, I played against, I want to say, three NFL guys in JC. Mm. Um, but it was a great one for me because I went out. I had great coaches. They taught me the game the right way. I learned from the outside in, not the inside out. So I didn't ever learn I've got you. And then we go to us two against him or us two against those two. You know, the typical combination blocks these guys learn. I learned identify safeties right away. Look at the defense. Where's the defense going to go based on where the safeties are at? So how does that affect what I'm doing or where I'm going? Um, I learned to look as a playbook so I knew every player on the team where he was going. I could write out every, every player what they had for that play. And right. that just helped me because it, it helped me completely understand the game. So coming to Arizona wasn't a big transition at all. Um, I don't know if it was any type of transition. I stepped right in and started immediately about the, I don't want to say by the end of my first day or maybe second day in spring ball. Right. And uh, it helped me when I got to the NFL. I stepped right in and played and started because that's how I look at the game. How did, you, how did tell me take me a little bit through your recruiting though before before we sign off though when Arizona and the other schools that were on you how exactly did that play out? So I was recruited I, I I was recruited by I don't know seventy five schools or hundred um, pretty heavily. Uh, I chose by trips. I went to Oregon, USC, Arizona, and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, at that time I had turned out. I didn't want to go to Texas or Alabama or Florida. Um, my and my coach had said they're ready to offer, but I just. I knew, but Tennessee intrigued me for some reason. Well, I did my trips. I come back, and every coach that came to my house came in a suit and tie. Right now, I'm a kid. I've been surfing and being up beach my whole life, and they're all in a suit and tie in my house. And you know, if you look at my garage, it's surfboards and bikes. And Dick Tomey showed up in Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip flops, and I was like, "That's my guy, man. That's where right. I'm going." And he just got me. He totally understood who he was recruiting, um, understood what was important to me. And and laid it on the line. And it just it was easy to make that decision. 
All right, Glenn, I can't thank you enough for hopping on here, man, and uh, just looking forward to the season. And thanks again for your time, buddy. It's my pleasure. Thank you, and go Cats. Go Cats. The great Glenn Parker right there, five-time Super Bowl starter Glenn Parker right there. All right, now we got a couple things to get to. First, let's talk about factor meal kits. All right, now you might say to yourself, Mike, I want to get buff, but I don't want to have to do all the stuff that comes with it. Factor meal kits, though, it's here for you. They'll cook for you. Now we're in the thick of summer. You might be looking for something wholesome, convenient, you know, stuff like that to support sunny, active days. Check it out. Factor meal kits. The great shake franklin is using factor meal kits this there's is, a lot of frame to fill up too this is correct jacob franklin is it not yes there's a lot of frame of me to 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 get food into as well so For people that wonder jacob franklin is actually six foot eleven and a half and he's fueled by factor meal kits here's the deal head to factormeals.com slash phnx wildcats 50 and use uh, again phnx wildcats 50 to get 50 percent off that's code phnx wildcats 50 at factor meal com again phnx wildcats 50 to get 50 percent off right there that's how good it is if it's good enough for jacob franklin it should be good enough for all of us out there that's where i'm at in life right here and circle k all right i'm up here in phoenix obviously i kid you not as i was driving down uh, i don't even know what street it was um when you get off the highway there were two circle k's within about probably 300 yards of each other. You might say, why why Circle K is there? It's because they're trying to feed the people. They want to get the people involved. That's where Circle K is. Jacob Franklin can also vouch for this as well. Now, check out the, uh, like I said, you can get the Polar Pops, by the way. Very good stuff. Make sure you're not missing out on all the great stuff. Text PHNX to 31310. Join their SMS subscriber club and get a buy one, get one free Polar Pop. All right, now. It's time to make fun of uh, Michael Crow here a little bit. Now, when you're a uh, when you're a president of a university that generally doesn't like sports or you have a bad rep, you have a reputation for not liking sports. It's generally not the best thing to come out here and admit that you didn't know much about streaming. Michael Crow says, I will one up you. Jacob Franklin, let's hear this if we can. We had what I thought was a great offer from Apple. Most of most of the fan base didn't think it was a great Apple, but I mean, a great deal. But I don't think they knew that much about it. So basically what the Apple deal was is Apple would spend $500 million in the first year to take all the football games, all the men's basketball games, and all the women's basketball games in the Pac-12, digitally capture them and make them available to everyone. And, um, uh, and you could play the games whenever you wanted to play them. That's a huge, huge, huge thing. Mm-hmm. And all of the data from those games would be available. So you could zoom in on Mike Broomhead, the player, you could zoom in on, you know, great plays. You could be watching all the games at the same time if you wanted. There was going to be a, a fee for that, and that was the big uncertainty, and then a guarantee of a certain uh, price, a certain income to the schools, and then a joint partnership going forward of anything above the guarantee would be a 50-50 split. So from my perspective, you kept the Pac-12 together as a regional conference, and then you'd have this whole new way to broadcast digitally all of your content. Most of us thought that was a pretty good deal, including me. Uh, Along the way, others didn't think that was a good deal. Maybe that Apple shouldn't do that. And so at the last second, the Big Ten, working, I would guess, with their media groups, picked off two teams. 
This is the epitome of what's wrong with Michael Crow and what was wrong with so many of these presidents right here. It's the pretentious, well, I know better than you type. And that's exactly what he was trying to pull right there. And that's why it stinks. Michael Crow's literally saying, well, you know, um, I thought it was a good deal, but the people that didn't. Well, let's be honest here. Did they really know what was in the package? Again, that is why we are in this uh, this uh, spot we are. Look at the Big Ten. Look at the SEC. You know what they didn't do? They didn't go for 100% streaming. Look at the Big Ten and the SEC. It's because they are in the best spot possible because for a, um, and they can call the shots. Michael Crow does not understand any of that. Michael Crow thinks that I know better than you. And gosh, he doesn't understand anything. And he basically admitted that he just found out about streaming about a month ago. These are the, this is the kind of guy that is making decisions here. And that's why we are very fortunate to have Bobby Robbins here, because I can guarantee you that Bobby Robbins knows streaming. And the one thing that Bobby Robbins made a point of multiple times was he said, you know, I can't really go for over 50% streaming because old people like myself generally don't understand streaming. He knew what he didn't know. Michael Crow doesn't do that. Michael Crow is very much of the uh, kind of the uh, the academic in the room that <laughs> uh, elite, uh, my elite power institutions, stuff like that. And nobody wants to see any of that. Jacob Franklin is laughing right now because Jacob Franklin agrees with me. This is true, Jacob Franklin. Uh, sports drive revenue, Mike. What's that? Sports drive revenue. Correct. And I'll leave it at that. So you agree with me. Jacob Franklin agrees with me right there. That is his way of uh, bashing ASU without actually bashing ASU. Very clever right there. All right, let's go to the comments if you don't mind there, Jacob Franklin. All right, uh, let's see here. Michael Crow likes Nickelback. I would definitely agree with that. Um, back the A-Ray, our guy says, Michael Crow still has an analog tape recorder for his voicemail. I would not be at all surprised by that as well. Again, my point isn't necessarily to beat up Michael Crow, although it's fun, but just hearing everything behind the scenes, that is kind of what you're dealing with right there. And that's why Bobby Robbins, I think, did such a good job navigating all of this because, again, this wasn't a simple thing right here by uh, any means all right now we've been saying this from day one if you're going to back the a on this show if you're going to back the a the best way to back the a is at bet mgm take take the over of five wins and you will thank me later for it right there and the reason is is again sign up for bet mgm use bonus code phnx there's a few different offers depending on where you live but for our arizona audience place your first bet offer and receive up to 1000 back in bonus bets if it loses check out the show notes for full details again Take the over of five and whatever ASU's is, I would probably parlay that with the under as would Jacob Franklin right there. But Arizona is going over five. Vegas is still a little bit behind the curve on them, just like they were last year. We got you a little bit of money last year. Let's get you some money this year and let's hear Shane Diefenbach with a disclaimer. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369, New York. Call 1-800-327-5050, Massachusetts. 21 plus to wager. Please gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP-ARIZONA, 1-800-522-4700, Nevada. 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. 1-800-981-0023, Puerto Rico. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Kansas, Nevada, New York, or Ontario. All right. Thank you. All right. Now, Jacob, I think we have another little highlight here, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, oh, Brett Yormark, our guy, Brett Yormark. Very excited when we talk about Brett Yormark. Let's hear from Brett Yormark. I texted George, reached out to him, 
And effectively, I said, hey, I'm sorry I came down to this. And I'm sorry I put you in a tough position, but this was something that, you know, we 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 had to do. And I'm sorry that my gain is your loss. And we had a very collegial conversation. George was fantastic. I didn't do it. I didn't do, you know, expansion didn't happen in someone's shadow. It didn't happen at night. It wasn't a shock and awe moment. Everyone knew the Big 12 had an appetite to expand. And um, I, I, I'm maybe some people in the industry didn't like that, that I was so intentional about it. But I'm very transparent. In fact, I telegraphed it. Um, and I just felt that was the right way to do it versus other things that I w- witnessed and and, ex- and 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 observed in our industry over time where transparency really wasn't really, the ca- you know, what happened. Brett Yormark is a boss. That's the best way that I can put it. This guy gets it. Now, again, he was. I, 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 he was honest. He did say that. You know, it's going to try to take your schools. And George Klievkoff said, watch this. I'm going to pretend to take your schools. And he couldn't take the schools, obviously, because Brett Yormark already had those ones on lock. The great thing about, though, Brett Yormark is, is that he gets it. And I'm going to keep saying this time and time and time again. Brett Yormark gets it. He understood the landscape of college of of college athletics. You're not going to catch the SEC. You're not going to catch the Big Ten. This is about survival at this point. That's the biggest part. You just need to be able to survive in advance, like the NCAA tournament right there. That's maybe what he was thinking about. But that is the biggest part about everything that he did is that he found the deal that he needed to find, and he got it signed, and with a with a obviously not 100% streaming. So you know what we're going to be able to watch? Arizona on actual television. That's a good thing whereas Michael Crow wanted you on Apple TV. But, and also with George Klievkoff, um, he's been, this has been a very easy foil, I think, for the uh, majority of the uh, uh, the rest of the world. I'm going to blame the presidents, though, here for it. Not necessarily just Klievkoff. Klievkoff obviously doesn't know what he's doing. But at the same point, um, there is, uh, I think there is the aspect in play that these presidents were the ones calling the shots. And when you have somebody like Michael Crow, who we just watched right there, is that somebody that you would want calling the shots right there? I say no. By the way, uh, back the A-Ray says, your mark is basically apologizing for taking GK's girl. Sorry, bro. She likes me more. That's exactly what it is. That's why we need comments from you guys as well, because you guys are all smarter than me, and you're able to give the insight that I would uh stumble around with mike rayner the new big 12 is good in my hand as good as in good hands my friends totally agree and we put this out there yesterday big 12 fans you are all fantastic we like you a great deal right there because you like sports what you find out about people here that back the a is we like sports as well this is what revolves around tucson right now is the arizona sports situation right there and again Big 12 fans like seeing all of them. Everybody has uh, everybody has uh, awesome fan bases. It's not the stoic Stanford and Cal's of the world where you're like, eh, do you even really like sports? There's none of that. You get Big 12 people are awesome, and we look forward to playing you. I even had a West Virginia fan yesterday start talking uh, talking a little mess to me, and you know, here's what I just said. I am not going to talk mess to you because I am just happy to be in the conference. The time for mess talking will be next year after. But you know what I'm going to do, though, in the meantime, to actually look cool while I do all of this, probably going to wear a little maybe my pins and aces right there. 
Hmm, let's see here. Why did this go away? My pins and aces read went away from me, Jacob Franklin. I will find that there in a second. But you also might say to yourself, where can I get that cool shirt? Become a PHNX diehard. Check out phnx.com locker right there. Very good stuff. All kinds of good stuff right there. But Big 12 fans out there, and I'll find it, Jacob. You're good. Um, Big 12 fans out there. Got to just got to say how excited I am because to be joining you. And I think I speak for the majority of Wildcat fans there and that this is a good day to be a Wildcat. This is a good time to be a Wildcat fan. Yes, we're sorry we had to bring ASU along with us. I didn't want to do it. Nobody else really wanted to do it, but we had to bring them along with it. But we fit in very well with what you guys all do at basketball wise. You got the best basketball conference in the country. Arizona obviously plays good basketball and people show up to the Arizona games, which which is a great aspect to, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of an underrated aspect out there. But it's just culturally, it's geographically, everything. It's just a good fit. And not only is it a good fit, it's a fit that I think uh, just, again, just makes a lot of sense right there. And the Arizona fans certainly get that one right there. Now, pins and aces. All right. Like I said, I need everything possible to make me look cool. I always struggle at this. Pins and Aces is here to help people like myself, the official golf partner of All City and PHNX. Check out pinsandaces.com and use code PHNX. Again, code PHNX to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. That's pinsandaces.com right there. All right. Now, speaking of the Big 12, this is for all you Big 12 fans out there. The man that has been a uh, that has been a, a little bit of a uh, annoyance to many, Tony Altimore, will be coming back on the show tomorrow to take his lumps. I actually respect Tony on this because he hasn't run. He put out a lot of nonsense before here on the show, and he's coming back to talk about it. But we will be talking with Tony Altimore as well. Very much looking forward to that one. But... As always, really appreciate all your comments right there. You guys are absolutely fantastic. Um, again, Michael Crow, just keep doing you. We appreciate it. All right, I'm going to sign off here, but tomorrow we'll be back up with you. For Jacob Franklin, I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.